Welcome to the Manufacturing Data Connectivity Podcast. This is John Rinaldi, your host today, and we're we have a special guest, Mr. Bill Leiden, who has oh even more experience in industrial automation than I have. So it's a it's a pleasure to have you, Bill. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. So we're going to talk about uh, oh a number of things that are going on in industrial automation and data connectivity and and for people who don't know you, Bill, why don't you just kind of give a, a you know we we can't we don't have four four or five hours to go through your resume, so why don't you just give us the highlights? Yeah, real quick, I've been in automation my whole career, and actually I started in uh, direct computer control and machine tools, which I was very fortunate to start there with Sunstrand Machine Tool, which was one of the pioneers. So I worked around a lot of smart people. And then Johnson Controls for the building automation. Uh, we were building systems and networks, and I was on a Skunk Works for two years where we architected a whole system, including microprocessor-based controllers and HMIs and a whole system approach. And then I co-founded ran a software company for quite a while. And now I do consulting and, and uh, authoring for automation.com and ISA's Intech Magazine articles and features. So you and I have been around for a long time, and we've seen a lot of things happening. But is it is it just me, or are things moving faster now than they did, say, 20 years ago? Um, I don't know about 20, but certainly in more recent times, they move faster. Uh, to me, the, the hallmarks of change in the industry have been the invention of the PLC and the wide adoption of it. The distributed process control systems, which was really commercially invented by Honeywell, a TDC series, that was a landmark change in the industry. Um, open networking, and particularly Ethernet, has been another change. There haven't been, you know, people think of a lot of minor things as changes, but many of them are just refinements on current systems. There's some major landmarks that have happened, and I and we're hitting it with Industry 4.0 industrial internet of things these days, there is an acceleration. But I guess my overall high-level evaluation of that is industrial automation and process automation have always leveraged or changed as commercial technologies became solid and mainstream. Because mm -hmm. if you look at the early systems, they were built all proprietary from top to bottom. Then Windows got popular, and so the HMIs became standardized. Then the next level was the Ethernet networking. As Ethernet was established, that took hold. And, and that's just continually been the pattern as certain commercial technologies become very popular um, and established. That's what the industry uses. One of the more recent ones is MEM sensors, um, micro-machines. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked at the, when I was on the skunk works, we were looking at them years ago and they were horrendously expensive, but the prices dropped out of the bottom of those because they're used in cell phones now and there's high volume. And th that whole level of sensing is, is another good example of what I would consider one of those kind of landmark shifts that's happened. So if we, so if we extend that trend and talk about, and think about it, Things have have always come from outside the industry and been you as they became popular, as costs have been reduced, as they become standardized, they've been adapted by automation by industrial automation market for use in manufacturing systems. What kinds of things are we looking at now that are popular that are going on in in the say the IT world and other things that that are going to be 
that are going to be trends that are going to influence how we do manufacturing, you know, over the next three to five years? I think the biggest trend is uh, the transition of enterprise business systems. ERP was considered a term, but it's much broader than it these days. Shifted to real-time transaction processing. In the past, they worked on a batch basis. The the, the ERP system would send take all the orders from customers, figure out all the manufacturing paths, all the materials required for manufacturing, and send that information down by paper, in some cases, into the plant to release materials, get work orders for machine work being done and production lines. And then they were blind. They, they had what they called the back flush cycle. A typical one was 24 hours. So at the in a 24-hour period or at night, they would send all the information from the plant floor back that was entered into the ERP so they figured out what actually happened in the plant. But And that's because these systems worked on what was called the batch basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the manufacturing execution systems was a middleware system that essentially took all the information from the enterprise system and then had the models, every all the models from the enterprise system that tracked everything in real time. Well, that's very cumbersome. You layered in another system. Well, now enterprise systems have become real-time transaction processing. SAP HANA, and that's quite a long time ago, was the pioneer, but everyone's followed in that path. So now you ha- have immediate understanding of what's going on in the plant because there's a direct linkage, and that is growing dramatically fast. I interviewed a company four years ago, a small little company, you know, less than 50 people, and here's a big change that's happened. They, these guys that bought this company had come from larger companies. So they used cloud-based enterprise resource planning systems that were running in real time to have all the features that a big company would have to understand what exactly what was running in their plants and making it happen and got tremendous efficiencies. Now, they were very leading-edge kind of people that understood the dynamics. Now this is becoming mainstream. So you're saying that this is not just the big boys, the Procter and Gambles and 3Ms and people of that ilk, but even smaller manufacturing companies can can use these kinds of technologies and processes to enhance the operation of their machinery. Is that correct? Absolutely. Even small, even uh, machine job shops. Wow, that's a uh, that that's going to be a pretty excellent way for them to increase their efficiency and their and the way they their whole or their whole operation. What anything else? What what? Tell me some of the things that have surprised you that have happened in the last five years or ten, even ten years that you never thought would have been possible. The one that, uh, the single biggest thing I see right now is uh, collaborative robots. This is a a big change because collaborative robots came about as robots that they can't pick up an engine block. They usually get about 20 kilograms or so that they can pick up relatively small. But their cost points now are like under $20,000, under $40,000. You can get a very reasonable one. They're programmed like a game, which is a huge change. Robots Mm -hmm. in the past, it was very cumbersome to program the robots. But now you have... It's it's like what you see is what you get kind of programming on a computer for spreadsheets and things, right? Hmm. And you can do the cobots. And it's a massive, it's a huge seed change because small companies can now 
get a cobot to do repetitive information. There's all kinds of examples of them. I've written a lot about this, interviewed a lot of people on this, and, and including very small companies that are using these device, these units. To me, that's the biggest single automation investment right now that has the highest payback that I can see in the industry right now. What about, is that... Uh being applied even to union shops are unions okay with these kinds of uh robots yeah that i think that's long well first of all a lot of those smaller companies don't have a union thing going on but the robot argument in big companies was was argued out in the automotive in particular years ago because to remain competitive they had to to get automated right because mm-hmm. if you look at the auto industry, it's a big one because they use a lot of automation. They were getting killed by foreign competition. First the Japanese, then Koreans. And because those those companies in those countries were automating with inventions. Japan still has the highest number of robots per capita in the world today. Um, so th- th- that became a, a survival issue, right? Mm-hmm. How do these robots then, you program like a game, when you say you program like a game, is it uh, you just lead them through a particular sequence and then they know what, how to do that? Is, yeah, is there's that, multiple that ways to do that. You can link them through a sequence. You can move the arms and, and affect, you know, they affect end effectors and there's a lot of mm-hmm. now different end effectors to program it. Or you can program it, you know, using a display, right, with a joystick and so forth. Or more becoming more prominent is you can simulate designs of products and machines on software and use that software to drive it. And that software, the price points and the the ease of use of that kind of software has come down dramatically. You look like AutoCAD inventor Hmm. and, and even now people like PTC, uh, Creo and other things, they have cloud-based uh, systems for doing solid modeling design and simulation that you now can do all that and drive it into the um, <laughs> into the robot for the control. And and this is another seed change. Back in the early days at Johnson, I was get, would get into uh, traveling around to engineering firms, architectural and engineering firms. And I remember being in New York when there was scads of drafting tables all over the place, right? Yeah, well, then I, then I was out in California visiting some of the smaller companies that were really doing well. They were using AutoCAD, which was new on the scene, right? But CAD, they, AutoCAD democratized CAD without going into all the details. These people were far more effective and, and efficient and competitive. And so that's another – these kind of changes happen, these shifts. And, and there's some – and sometimes more traditional companies have a – a difficulty shifting to the, some of the newer things. I, I can echo what you're saying about robots and cobots. One of the, the biggest growth areas we've seen in, in the work we do in helping vendors get integrated on the factory floor is in p- robot companies coming to us and say, hey, we need to support Profinet. We need to support Ethernet IP. We need this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, it's been, you know, that's just, I think last year we might have done four or five, six of those. So that's uh, that's really um, true. Now, you mentioned PTC, and Alan Bradley uh, made a big investment in PTC. What's what's going on there? What's that all about? Uh, what's the, you know, Alan Bradley's dominated manufacturing now for 
what, 30, 40 years here in North America. Is that going to continue? Why did they make the investment in PTC? Tell us more about that. Well, Rockwell made over a billion dollar investment for 8% of the company. It was eight, eight point something, I think, and, and a board seat. And I think what happened is they realized PTC is an amazing software company. They are uh, uh, at every level from the CAD, the simulation, all the way down to the edge and edge computing platforms that are having the software for those, especially with their ThingWorks product. And uh, I think Rockwell decided, well, I think Rockwell needed something because their major competitor, Siemens, who's the leader in the world, had made a, over a $3 billion investment some years ago in UGS, which gave them that entire stack of software from design, product lifecycle management, all the way down to the edge um, software stack. And I think Rockwell decided that was something they needed to do uh, as a company. I think it was a brilliant move on their part to make that kind of a move. And they have co-branded products now, uh, but Rockwell is also selling the higher end PLs, um PTC software products also mm-hmm. in the companies, things they had never sold before, right? So, are they changing their product strategy then to 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 become to sell different kinds of products instead of PLC and IO and and they're moving to into a, a are they becoming a different kind of company? Will we see something different out of them in five years from now than than we see today? Well, I think Rockwell is still selling products, but they they have they recast their um the way they segment their business. Uh, recently into three segments, uh, intelligent devices, software and control, which includes the PLC software, and lifecycle services. And lifecycle services is a big area for them. So they're they're doing a lot more in the services area, still selling their bread and butter products. But services encompass everything from consulting, cybersecurity services, uh, system integration. They acquired some nice, good-sized system integrators. And... um, They've just been uh, growing that business towards the services side of things. Well, how does that? Yeah, I mean, they have close partners that are system integrators. That can't be well received. Uh, they're trying to manage that. I, you know, that's always a, 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 a tricky business. But all their competitors have the same kind of setup, so mm-hmm. uh, they're that is it something they manage and work with their there's yeah. I'm not saying there's not friction that can happen, but that can be managed. What What are some of the uh, the bigger challenges that manufacturers have and today and over the next few years? How do, what are they what are, What are they concerned about? What keeps them up at night? They got to match their customer their need their offerings to what their customer needs. That's probably the biggest factor, and driving out labor labor cost, purchasing costs. And logistics costs; those are the big highlight items for them. And the, that's hard to do. I mean, there's a there's a lot in that to drive in, drive those costs out. I mean, it's uh, you could tack that in lots of different ways. Is it mostly labor? Is it raw materials? Is it process? Is it machinery? What where you know where where's the where should well, they I, go? That's where automation comes in, as to driving out labor costs. You know, other parts of the world have realized that. You can't compete on labor, low labor cost anymore. You've got to automate, and you automate for precision, quality, and productivity. And every country's got a demographics issue, aging population. If you look at the demographics, yes. of 
most of the com- countries uh, uh, and totem pole them. China's got probably the, the toughest problem there. Maybe that's why they're the largest purchaser of robots since 2011 in the world. Uh, India's pretty good in that regard in terms of demographics, and the U.S. is sort of in the middle. Is that is that one of the drivers of uh, of the onshoring movement? And you know, are, are companies realizing that hey, if we're going to do automation, we there's no reason to have a, an automated factory in Vietnam if we can have it in Tennessee. Yeah, right? I think uh, yeah, but onshoring is overplayed. The, the onshoring, if you look at the the statistics, the information, uh, yeah, there's certain areas where people are ba- onshoring back to the U.S. But it's not as big as you might think. Uh, some of the changes that are going on is moving out of China into Taiwan and other areas because China's they've been coming a, a more expensive producer as time goes on. I'm sure that's why they're working to automate harder. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the statistics, uh, the onshoring movement to the U.S. is not that large. Well, we've always had uh, German companies and European companies, co- companies coming here to be to be more local and to serve the local market better. Is that changing too, or is that is that are, they, are we still importing a lot from Germany? Well, I think we're it's both. What's happening is other com- companies from other countries are putting plants to be closer to the the customer, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why U.S. Comp- and they're you know like building BMWs here in the states and things like that. That's also why companies have to put some have posi- have locations and operations in China. China's got like twenty percent of the GDP of the world, so you can't discount it. You've, so that's where that that whole idea of having plants localized to your markets. Not that you have a plant in one country and ship it to the rest of the world. That just costs more in logistics, right? Mm-hmm. And now with the COVID crisis, people have realized, wow, this is even a bigger problem. So you could talk about logistics. Yeah, well, logistics are very – I think we've learned that with the tsunami in Japan, with COVID, that uh, logistics are everything. If you If you can't move your raw materials and get them where you need them to be, if you can't move your finished product to where it needs to be, then you're, you're out of business. Yep. So very, very big issue. Yeah. What uh, what's uh, what's going on in Europe? Or is Europe ahead of us? It always seems like the the Germans have a more structured approach to manufacturing. They all seem to march in step and are are working in the same you know toward the same end. Where in America, it seems like everybody here is. Once is a cowboy and has their own direction and, and is leading a charge in, in a different area. Is, is Germany, that true? Germany is by far the, has honed their, if you look at the, the statistics, the KPIs, as a manufacturing, uh, or uh, the country of manufacturers, they are very well honed operating organizations. And if you toured any German companies, and you may have done some of this, you see it in their way they operate. And other countries are doing the same thing, uh, but Germany's been a, really a poster child in that area. I mean, they're, they're like everybody; they're struggling a bit right now, but um, but that's kind of the way of the world. But they've they're very good at automating. They're very good at organizing. They essentially have been set, setting the world standards 
in industrial automation for the world. Uh, if you, my best example is that is a DIN rail. If you go back the early days, DIN rails were coming to the states. All the major suppliers, Allen Bradley, Cutler Hammer, Square D, all of them, they had diff- different, diff- they had their own rail systems, and they fought tooth and nail and did white papers that the DIN rail was no good. It was a bad idea. Well, eventually it went out because it was a standard, right? Mm-hmm. Who would ever walk away from a standard once you knew what it did for you, right? Um, well, yes, and, and the Germans have, have have all standardized on OPC UA. They have standardized on Industry 4.0. They're all they're all working together, a, a kind of off the same hymnal. And certainly, we don't do that in the U.S. And I don't know if that's to our detriment or that's to our advantage. Well, I think that I think the world we're starting to realize, and the U.S. companies are realizing, they got to be more mainstream with the standards. So. Um, I think that's coming around. Another big factor in Germany is the, and other other parts of the world I've traveled in Asia, the manuf- the management at the manufacturing companies, the top ones, understand manufacturing. That's been a problem in the U.S. That's starting to change. But we were more interested in buying and selling companies than than honing the company as right. a manufacturing company. Yeah, but I think you're right. Part- that is starting to change. Uh, we, we, we've had those finance executives that are interested in merging and, and growing by, by, by mergers M&A than, than doing actual operational efficiency and really trying to make a plant everything they can, it can be. I, that's, I start, think that's, a, yeah, that's starting to change. Um, yes. uh, Darius Adamczyk, I, really a neat guy who runs Honeywell now. He's a guy. He's an engineer. He can, he's a great example of a strong, smart leader. Um, as a as a case study. So, um, so you've got. We're coming up to the end of the the, the time here, Bill. I under, I understand that you're going to be publishing or automation.com is going to be publishing an article from you on the 2021 top trends. Can you give us a little preview of of what you're well, going to be talking about? There's one out there right now that you can go look at. Okay. Um, of the top trends, Cobots yeah. uh, is one of the biggies. All right. And edge computing and cloud and the integration of enterprise, uh, right down to the plant floor is another. Hmm. So is that really going to happen? So that's the, that that's the thing is, you know, is the enterprise and the plant floor all actually going to merge? Do you expect that to happen in the next three to five years? That's happening now. It's happening now. Where? Who's doing? Who's in? Who's doing that kind There's of stuff? There's a lot of. I've written a lot of articles, and you can see it happening. Mm-hmm. And even if, it, like, at the machine tool show, when I went and, well, last time we had a physical show, and did interviews of of different people, uh, company like Epicor, which is known for machine shops and things like that, they have real time enterprise systems. They're monitoring machines, taking that data right into the system. Now the control piece is still separate. The hard control part of it right yes but but the big and this was in the the 2021 report trends report a big piece is industry 4.0 industry 4.0 is a is a modern digitalization architecture and model it's holistic and we don't have not thought that way and what's interesting industry 4.0 was spawned in germany but it also has, and if in that article it talks about this, other countries, including China, India, Mexico, 
Uh, I'm missing some Italy. They all have worked cooperatively with the Germans, and the German institutes do a lot of work on this stuff, to have their own industry 4.0 initiatives. But the core parts of the model are the same. It's a system-level architecture for manufacturing from supply chain through the plant floor right down to the lowest level and out through to the customer. Well, that's it. That's an exciting, that's exciting. It, you know, it, I don't know uh, when that's actually going to reach to the, the smaller plants or I, I, I think that there's certainly a lot of benefits to that kind of work. I mean, you really can run a, a much more efficient, much more productive plant doing all that. And it's going to, that's going to require some changes to the way we operate, changes to technology, uh, deployment of, of new technologies on the factory floor. And I think I agree with you that that's, that's probably, that's happening uh, sporadically in different places at different rates. And some companies certainly are ahead of others in doing that. So it's happening at, a, at a, people that produce products in a regular flow. It's happening at, as you go down to the make to order job shop kind of companies, mm-hmm. you're not going to see as much of that, but you'll see the technologies permeating. But even a job shop, like a machine shop that does, you know, maybe has 10 machines, job shops, they've used job tracking and labor tracking systems and been eliminating paper for the last 15 years. And uh, th- that's, Another aspect of this is getting rid of the paper. It's it's really gonna it's really interesting, really exciting, and uh, thank you very much for for uh, for joining me today in the in the data connectivity podcast. And uh, any any if somebody wants to get a hold of you, Bill, how can they get a hold of you? I'm on LinkedIn. Just look up Bill Lydon, L Y D O N. That's the easiest one. My name is. Not that unusual. It's kind of unusual. You can yeah. find me. Thanks again. Thank you. It's exciting times. Very exciting yeah, it, times. It sure is. Right. Take care. Goodbye.